Hosea chapter 5. As you read through the prophets, the minor prophets, all the prophets, often you'll see this trial scene. And so what we have here is sort of that. The language lends itself to that. And these are charges from Yahweh to Israel. And they are found guilty of these crimes that we'll read through here tonight. And we're going to see that primarily the guilt, it's on the people, but it's even more strictly upon the leadership, the priesthood. And so this is a direct uh, condemnation of them and the coming judgment that's going to befall them. Hear this, O priest. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter. Though I rebuke them all, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. And now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds towards turning toward, uh, towards turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, and therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds, they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. For he has withdrawn himself from them, they have dealt treacherously with the Lord. They have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. And so 1 through 7 continues on with what really was continuing in chapter 4. This failure of the priesthood had led them into idolatry, the worshiping of these idols, these false gods, these lesser gods, the, the fallen angels who were usurping the worship that should have been Yahweh's. They were taking it, using these priests, as we pointed out before. When Jeroboam one established this, he took people, whoever wanted to be. It was just an open thing as far as the priesthood. It didn't really matter which tribe you were from. If you want to be part of the priesthood, it was a profession. Come on, join join the ranks. And so these people were not trained, taught, nor did they deliver to the people the word of God. And so as a way, as it, as it were, uh, they were led astray. And notice the words that, that he begins this particular chapter with, direct, directed right to the priesthood, right to the leadership. Here, take heed and give ear. I mean, this is like serious stuff that he's about to bring against them. Here, listen to this message. This is what he's saying. Hear it. Understand what you need to understand what I'm saying to you. And then take heed. And even more so, pay attention. This is a threefold solemn warning because of what's coming. God is not, he's, he's had enough. He's had enough. Give ear. 
incline yourself, bend your ear, and actually hear this and do something about it. This is really what he's saying right out of the gate to these people. This is the seriousness of the message. And we see that list, their spirit, you know, he sees it all. I see them. God says, there's nothing hid, hidden from the Lord. We know this. Hebrews, we'll get into that a little bit later, but, you know, Hebrews, you know, all things are open and naked unto him to whom we are accountable to. But God sees their spiritual adultery, their marital unfaithfulness and their uncleanness, their, their bondage, their unrepentant hearts, their ignorance of God, which is a crime. And that really comes back to the leadership, the priesthood, not teaching them. Why couldn't they teach it? Why weren't they doing it? Because they themselves were ignorant of God. They did not know the Lord. You can't give something you don't have. You know, I'm glad the people that are sick in the church didn't come tonight because they could give us something that they have. But I don't want what they have, right? I mean, you just if you have something, you can give it to somebody else, no matter what it is. Uh, hopefully it's not a communicable disease, right? <laughs> and this is what was going on. If you, The reason why they couldn't give them the knowledge of God is because they didn't know the Lord. It was Their pride, their stumbling... They were, they're, they're in vain when they did seek after God. It was all in vain. They couldn't find him. Why? Because the Lord had withdrawn. They were treacherous towards him. They dealt wrongfully with the Lord. They failed and they, they begin to, as you know, as they were invaded, the Assyrians later on, and even at, probably even at this time, because this is Jeroboam too, a time of prosperity, and they begin afterwards in this time of prosperity begin to wane and the Syria became much stronger. They began to invade and what did they do? They took some of the, the Jewish people and took them back to their country and they brought in foreigners and planted them in the land. And that's one of the tactics of warfare is to break down the ethnic groups that are there because when the ethnicities dominate and they're strong, they're hard to break. But when you diversify them and split them up, uh, sort of like what's going on in our country right now, <laughs> you know, they, and what, what was the result of this? Well, we have in the New Testament, we refer to, there's the Samaritans. They were, they were, they weren't pure of the pure line of Jewish people. They had intermarried with the heathen so they couldn't, partake as it were according to the leadership in the New Testament they couldn't enjoy worship in Jerusalem they had, had actually forced them into worshiping their own way uh, and so um, that's the woman in the well scene and so that sort of explains how that happened here but there was this there, Israel's failure as they begin to intermarry with the heathen and, and actually they were sacrificing their children uh, to these gods, as we've read there. And that you're losing your heritage. You're destroying your future. I mean, these we may not have idols or temples that we go to to offer their children, but look what's happening to her. I cannot, I've had this conversation a couple times recently with people and educating their children, and we see children going to the state-run schools and they're being brainwashed. It's almost like the parents have given them over to the state. And, let, and the state wants this. They want to raise your children. They want to make them their disciples and their followers. And that's really kind of what's going on here. And it, 
and what will happen to them? They will be, they're enslaved. I mean, we see, we see it in part now. Who are the strong, um, you look at some of the strong leaders you, that we have that are moral and good. Check out the kind of family they were raised in. Almost predominantly, they were raised in a Christian home, and they were edu- very well educated. But we have been fed something that we shouldn't have eaten as a nation. Chapter 7, and we'll continue here, uh, in chapter, um, verse 8 rather, uh, the invasion of the enemy. This is, uh, they have a divided nation, and so this is, this is the judgment that's coming. Blow the ram's horn, you know, in Gibeah. It's a wake-up call, right? The trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud in Bethlehem. Look behind you, O Benjamin. So, so this, is, this is right at the border. Benjamin and Judah were together. And so we're right at, and this is probably the location of Hosea. He had interaction with, with Isaiah and some of these other contemporaries. But he probably lived right there at that southern border. So he's mentioned in these towns, you know, Gibeah and Ramah. You know, this, Gibeah was where Saul was actually from. But these were, these were like the high places. Uh, this is where Israel would go for the judges and receive um, direction, as it were. Uh, so this is where the priesthood would be. This is where the corrupt leaders were dwelling in, in, in these areas. This is where the people would come to be, you know, do their religious thing. So look behind you, old Benjamin. He, you know, he's telling Judah, pay attention to what's going here because this place is about to be invaded. Ephraim shall be desolate, verse 9, in the day of rebuke among the tribes. I will make known what is sure. So who, this is something that's so important. No matter how rough it gets, how, how disgusting we may feel about certain things, the bottom line is the Lord knows those that are his, and he knows what is sure, he knows what is true, and he's in charge of the nations. You know, this whole thing of what the gathering of the, the warships in the Mediterranean, you know, in, in, you know, down around the Red Sea there, I mean, this whole thing, I mean, it looks like, whoa, but who's really in control of this? I'm not afraid of what may happen. I fear the Lord. I know and I trust that he's in control. And I'm praying that, you know, that it's just rattle, you know, saber rattling. I hope that's all it is. It could, obviously, we haven't seen this ever in my lifetime quite like this. So who knows? But uh, there's a warning. These people here in our text tonight are, are being warned. Um, judgment in verse nine shall be Ephraim shall be. De- this is going to be devastating. This isn't just. And that's why. That's why he said, "Give ear, take heed, hear this, because what's coming is going to be devastating." And look, Judah, you're not blameless. So there's enough of Hosea's ministry. It's almost like an overlap because of where he's at there, uh, uh, geographically where he's located. Judah's not blameless. Her leaders are corrupted. They're, and this judgment that's coming, it's unstoppable. Nobody's going to, and this really this is so true in our day. Whatever's coming, I don't know what it is. I'm not a prophet that I can see and know, and God hasn't revealed that to me. But I know there's something coming, and whatever's coming is not going to, when God's hand begins to move, nobody will stay his hand. And we know uh, the corruption 
know, there is a day of accountability. Now, in verses 12 and 13, one of the things you see about judgment, and we can, we can, ver- we can bear witness to this, it, it, it begins with low intensity. Notice what he says there. Therefore, to, I will be to Ephraim like a moth, and to the house of Judah like rottenness. Really, that rottenness, rottenness there, he's talking about dry rot. You guys ever look? Do you know what dry rot is? <laughs> you know, and insurance companies call that an unnailable surface. <laughs> 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 Which means you can't put something on it that's going to stay there. It's worthless. It's, it's, uh, cannot be used. And so you can see, and, and the best way to illustrate is what's been happening the last 20 years. Most of us in this room are, can think back 2000. How was our country? We were very concerned at the direction things were headed in the late 90s. The leadership was extremely corrupt, and it just continued to escalate. And now, you know, what we've gone through the last three or four years, it's like dry rot. There's a lot of useless things going on. There's a lot of destruction going on. It's like a moth. You know, it eats away, and wow, it's just like a little hole here and a little hole there. It's not that bad. You still got, well, if you had to, you could wear it, right? It's kind of like our pockets in the economy. You know, it's got pockets that, you know, like, wow, that's... That's wiped out. That's no longer viable way to make a living. You know, there's, it's because this low intensity is all around us. But it's part of the judgment of God. And then, you know, look, look what follows, though. It, bec- it goes from low intensity to major devastation. When I saw, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judas saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria, and they sent for the king of Jerb. Yet he cannot cure you, nor heal you of your wound. So what do we do? We turn to man. We turn to the solutions, humanistic philosophy. You know, just pull yourself up by your own bruises. Look deep within yourself and find the wherewithal, and you can do this. You know, and the Twin Towers were destroyed and they said well we're going to rebuild make this better you know it's the same thing as they said in Isaiah if this is one of the things that was flying around during that time some some of the spokesmen you know so what Israel said when they were faced destruction we're going to rebuild with cedar we're going to make it better than it was we made the same comments when this whole thing happened with 9-11 well, you know, you can go to Assyria, you can look to the world, you can look to man, but what, look what's really going to happen. I will be like a lion to Ephraim, a young lion to the house of Judah. I will tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction and they will earnestly seek me. And this is why God allows it. Now think about a lion. You know, they're, they're the king of the jungle, right? <laughs> they are fierce, and they are relentless 
until they get what they want. And then what do they do? They go back to their den. It's verse 15, I will return to my place. As soon as the lion gets done eating, <laughs> he just goes and crashes. It's sort of an imagery here. It's like the Lord's going to allow this devastation to come, and then he's just going to, okay, what are you going to do with it? How many people, most everyone that I've ever met came to the Lord out of need. Something was going on in their life that was beyond their control, like out of control, and there was a desperation. Now, sometimes those people who were raised in Christian homes and they realize, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, little, as they're little people, you know, they haven't grown up yet, and they realize, you know, I'm mean, I'm, I shouldn't do that, I feel guilt, I don't want to go to hell. You know, whatever happens in the mind of a young child, fortunately, that is a wonderful way to be converted. Think of all the scarring and all the damage they don't have to uh, experience. You know, very few people that are Christians, uh, well, I don't, how do I know? I don't really know the numbers. I don't know the percentage of the people that fall into that category. But it's amazing that a, a number of people, and I would say a lot of people, come to the Lord when they have great need. And so this is really what the Lord allows this devastation to happen because he knows those that really, deep down in their hearts, know they're not living for God, they're not quite right with God, that pain, that sorrow drives them to him. And that's what he's waiting for. Until they acknowledge their offense, then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So I, I don't think I shared that little tidbit out of uh, Numbers 22 when uh, the, 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 the false prophet, what's his name, the, the donkey? Balaam. Balaam. He, you know, if you, if you look at the, the little description there, of, you know, he's this little funnel. As he progresses towards his way, it becomes a path, a narrow path, a narrow way, and he's like smashing his legs against the side of the canyon. And the and he says, I'm done with this. He Down he goes because he sees the angel of the Lord. I mean, sometimes people just got to come to the point where they got no place to go. And this is what he's describing here. And then we covered this a couple weeks ago, but chapter 6, 1 through 3, talks about Israel's repentance. It's going to happen. And I believe that this is prophetic, and I think it's tied in with chapters 3, verses 4 and 5, as I shared a couple weeks ago. But this is a call to repentance. And this is how the word of the Lord coming to them. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, yeah, the lion, he ripped, he shredded you. But he will heal us. He is stricken. You know, the moth, you know, the... Uh, Dry rot, he's stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Now they're thinking, could you imagine hearing that? Thinking, well, as soon as it happens, a couple days later, well, you know, he's, oh, it'll fit. it never happened. It never happened to the ten tribes. Think about that. They were scattered. They, the two-day thing didn't really apply to them, did it? 
Now, as I shared before, for those of you that may not remember, in chapter 3, flip over, there's only four verses, so you can't, there's not many to sort through. <laughs> it says in verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, a prince, without a sacrifice, a sacred pillar, without an ephod, a teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, after two days, verse 2, it says, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. When will Israel live in the sight of God? When will Emmanuel be fulfilled, God with us? It will happen during the millennial reign of Christ. David, there, was you see in verse 5, and David, their king, that's Jesus. He's, he's referred to as David on occasion some in Ezekiel 34. Uh, David, I think David also has a role uh, in leadership during the millennial reign. Uh, but if you look at the two days, I think the two days, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So I believe there's something to that. I think the Jewish uh, rabbis uh, and their traditions, I think they're on, we're on to something there. You know, so when the Lord says, and let's sort of clarify that a little bit. When the Lord says, I'm going to do a quick work on the earth, I don't know about you, but I have trouble receiving that. <laughs> I mean, how do you define quick, Lord? Because it doesn't seem real quick to me. Well, that, you know, so if you think one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, so how long has man been on that planet? Do we, we're guessing. Now the earth may be older than that, but how long has man been here? Some believe about 6,000 years at this point. 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ. Since Jesus has been here, it's about 2,000 years. So that's, that's roughly how we got it. So how many days would that be? You guys can help me with the math. That's been six days, right? So after two days would be approximately 2,000 years or so, whenever. On the third day, well, that's how I get it. In the latter days, I think we're in the latter days, would you not say? But he, God's looking for Israel's repentance. God, and he does this. What has been torn, he will heal. And this is a wonderful grace of God. Verses 4 through 11, the rest of chapter 6, we'll finish this and uh, wrap it up here. It's the Lord actually, he, he I, I've looked at this and I wrestled with it. I think Israel's unfaithfulness was a frustration to God. He was frustrated with them. It's like, what else can I do for you? I feed you, I sustain you, I protect you, and you just whore after these other gods. You just continue to commit this spiritual adultery. You know, adultery. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? I mean, that sounds like frustration. It's kind of like working with your kids sometimes. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this kid? You, know? <laughs> you just throw your hands up like, ah! Oh, Judah, what shall I do 
to you. It wasn't just Israel, Jews on the path of idolatry too. For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. It's, it's fleeting. It's insincere. It doesn't last. It, it's there, but it really doesn't do all that it needs to be done because as soon as it's gone, the ground is still parched. It's dry. And the plants are still thirsty. This is a, a real description of, of insincerity and fleeting. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I mean, the word of God, again, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces and divides between the soul and the spirit, between our joints and our marrow. Nothing else can do that. Not the wisdom of men, not the understanding, not any earthly knowledge. Only the word of God can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why it's so important for you and I to be in the word. Because we realize, ooh, I am wrong. That is not a good heart. That is a bad attitude. I am arrested by the truth. There's nothing else that can mirror that in me except the word of God. And he sent the prophets, in this case, Hosea. I've hewn them with the prophets. I've brought the word of God that was sharp and quick and powerful. Wow. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. I mean, this is pretty graphic stuff here. Your judgments are like light that goes forth. And this is the Lord just puts it out there. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Knowledge of God more than birth offerings. I desire mercy. Now, you know, that's one of my favorite words. You know which one it is, right? In the Hebrew, it's hesed. Mercy is hesed, or loving kindness sometimes. But it's always that hesed that is special. That's the, that's the love that he talks about in Exodus where he calls them out of Egypt. I am your God. You are my people. We're making this covenant. It's based on loyal love. I have loyal love to you. What do I expect in return? Loyal love. This is, again, I desire loyal love, not sacrifice. You think God was, oh, I can't wait till you slaughter that next beef. No, it's not about that. It's about loving commitment, and it's like that now. You think God's interested in my good works? Well, I think he wants me to put into practice my faith. Yeah, but it's not about that. It's about a loving commitment and loyalty to my God. That's what he's after in every one of us, not to serve ourselves and not to serve these, as in their case, false gods. Not only loyal love, but to know me. There's nothing that makes God happier than when his children seek his face because they want to know him. I mean, this is, you look at the Bible and you look at people that got close to God, what did they want? More. <laughs> you know, Moses Look, this is the big load you put on me, Lord. In fact, I just kill me now because I can't hardly handle it. And then, you know, the next, you know, the next few chapters, like, show me your glory. And I don't think he could have made it unless the Lord had shown him. And so what, to whatever burden you have, God shows himself to you. He reveals him, his love, his grace. It's just whatever the, it's, it's equal. It's It's sufficient. For whatever burden, whatever sorrow, whatever pain, he reveals himself. And it's like, you know what? It's like the Lord saying, it's okay. I'm with you. I 
I got you. Remember when Paul was really discouraged? He left Athens and he was just a, you know, like, can't talk to these intellectual idiots. They're not receiving the gospel. He's discouraged. He goes to Corinth and he thinks, man, I'm just going to get beat up here. They'll probably just torture me. And what did the Lord do? He was down. He's like, man, I, this is rough sledding, Lord. <laughs> Hold on. I got many people in this city. He revealed himself. And that's what God does to us, aren't we? Aren't you grateful for that? That he, you know, to the burden, the, the grace comes. And so he explains here as we finish here. Uh, but, you know, that's what I want. But, like men, they transgress the covenant that I just mentioned, this loyal love covenant. They have dealt treacherously with me. In other words, they have violated the standards that I laid out, and they were not grievous. The commandments of God are not grievous. They're not more than we can handle. They only become grievous and heavy is when we rebel. That's why these people were doing it. Oh, it's too hard to serve God. Well, because you're rebellious and you don't want to do it. You need to repent, right? Gilead, Gilead is a city of evildoers defiled with blood. I mean, he just lays out their crimes. They're robbers, they're murderers, and they're lewd. Defiled with blood, has bands of robbers lie in wait for a man. So the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Hey, let's go to church, but on the way, let's kill a couple people on our way. I mean, just unbelievable. They surely commit lewdness, the end of verse 9. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, Judah, a harvest is appointed for you. When I return the captives of my people. I mean, God is no respecter of person. What's good for Israel is good for Judah. If you do what Israel's doing, Judah, you're going to get the same. There's, you know, God treats us all the same. Nobody gets favoritism. You know, he mentions Galid because that is the basis of operations. The corruption started with the priesthood. And he's got to level them. And the worst of all sins is spiritual adultery. What is that? In reality, you know what that is? It is the, it, it, they may, the people may be blinded to it, but it is the worship of Satan. And we see that, and this is, this is no joke. And this is really serious. We have many people in high places, from judges to, to politicians and to leaders of nations who are the reason why they're tyrannical is because they're they're devil worshipers. That's that's not overstating it. Do a little homework. It's not hard to these people. There's only you like and some some of you remember Bob Dylan. He got converted to to the the uh, album Slow Train Coming. Just to hear his voice, right? You got to serve somebody. It may be the Lord, but it may be the devil. But no matter what you say, you got to serve somebody, and that's the truth. So you're either going to we're either going to serve the Lord or we're going to serve the devil. Well, I don't serve either one. Of them. I serve myself. Well, who who's that? Right? We know who who's in control of the flesh, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, these are, strong, these are strong messages, strong words that were given to your people. And it's, I know we're 
the United States, we're not Israel, Lord, but your principles, your truth, it still applies. This nation was dedicated to you, and you take whatever's dedicated to you very seriously. And we're asking, Lord, that you would continue to extend mercy, and as you intensify the judgment that's upon our nation, that you would ca- it would cause people to repent, that there would be a turning to you, Lord, that there would be an outpouring of your spirit, God, upon the church. We saw the early reign in the early church and the power of God working through those who loved you and were following you and were willing to pay the price no matter what happened, Lord. Let that same spirit come upon your church again with the same intensity, Lord. Let the latter reign. Let your spirit be poured out upon the church, Lord. In the midst of judgment, Lord, bring many through the pain and the sorrow that may happen through the coming judgment, Lord. May you add to your church. As we sang tonight, Lord, you will have your bride. And may she be as you desire her, without spot, without wrinkle, Lord. Bless us. Strengthen us. Hear our cries tonight, Lord. You've heard them. And thank you for answering them. In Jesus' name, amen.